You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. We're going to start a new series uh, this week, and for lack of a better title, I'm calling it Happy Mother's Day. No, actually, I'm calling it Gospel Gleanings. And what I want to do, I've had this on my heart for a while, is just we're not going to go through you know every verse in all the Gospels, uh, but we are going to, we're going to jump around in the Gospels. There are just a number of passages that the Lord has uh, put on my heart to bring out. And I want to start today in John chapter 5. So you can turn over there and there are just a couple. There's an awful lot in this chapter, but there are just a couple of specific things uh, I feel like we're supposed to hit today. So let's pray as we do this. Father, as always, Lord, we come to this time because, Lord, we love your word and we revere your word. Father, we recognize that your word carries your life in it. And Lord, we open our hearts to it. And Lord, we open our hearts to your instruction, Lord, to your commands, Lord, and and to the life that flows in and through your word into us. Lord, we are transformed by your word. We are changed by it. And Lord, as, as sometimes that's a wonderful thing, sometimes that's kind of uncomfortable, but Lord, we reach out and accept it because we know every thought that you have toward us, everything that you would say to us, it's for our good. It is to grow us, to benefit us, and to fill us up. That's okay, just ignore that. Um, We've been having some light issues, so we may just be in here in the dark for the rest of the day, but that's okay. Father, we just thank you, Lord, this morning for the things you're going to speak to us individually by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we, we receive, we choose right now to receive, Father, what you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. So you guys can either start big blue or we'll just run these shades up. I want everybody to be able to see their Bibles. But um, we've got some parts coming for this thing that are taking forever to get here. On the, on the day that I brought my paper Bible, we <laughs> lost lights. That's okay. I have this one too. So yeah, no, no, I've, I've got it all on the iPad too. Okay, so did you find John chapter 5? Okay, well, let's do that. Let's find John chapter 5. I know you're going to have a hard time right now. They'll get, one way or the other, we'll get some light going. If you guys don't want to deal with trying to restart that, we can just open these shades. Maybe you should do that. Sometimes restarting it works and sometimes it doesn't. This has been going on for a couple weeks, but so far it's always worked for us uh, on Sunday, which has been good. Okay. Yeah, good luck with those. Karen has the magic touch on them. I tend to rip them out of the wall when I do it. Is that helping? Okay. All right. So John chapter 5, okay, and we're going to begin. Let me see if I can find my actual Bible here. That's, That's nothing. John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read from the New King James here. I'm good. good. Yeah, I'm good because I've got it on here too. I just decided to use my paper Bible. uh, Okay. I'll just wait till the... (laughs) If it's not going to work, let's just forget it because we... I don't want to... Oh, there you go. Excellent. I close the shades. No, I'm just kidding. All right, John chapter 5, let's get into this. Uh, So it says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the move of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. If that's going to keep flashing, let's just ignore it. I really don't want to distract from the word. Thanks, you guys. Thanks for trying. Um, Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years When Jesus saw him lying there and he knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, 
he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well and he took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. All right. So the whole rest of this chapter, and actually as we look forward into John chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, this issue of Jesus working miracles on the Sabbath comes up again and again and again. And there's a lot in that that we won't get to today, probably. But when one thing I want you to see in this, well, first of all, uh, verse 4 says, For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well. Now, that's one of those things that uh, some, of, some of the manuscripts have that part. Some of them do not. Uh, most Bible scholars believe that it was, that was the belief at the time, whether this was an angel that stirred up the water. This is the kind of thing that theologians argue over that I think is just so silly. Because whether it was an angel who stirred the water or not, the fact is there were all these people by that pool expecting to be healed because a whole bunch of people that they knew had been healed when they got in that pool. So I honestly do not care if it was an angel that came down, as some manuscripts say, or it was not an angel. There was something going on at that pool. And Jesus went to this place and there were all these people. It says a great number of people. And Jesus sought out this person. And that's just interesting to me because Jesus is the perfect image of the Father God, right? And so he sought out this person to bring healing to him. And one of the things that we're going to see in this chapter as we look at it and and a couple other passages is that it is God's will for people to be healed. God loves to heal people. This guy had been in this condition for 38 years. I mean, for some of that, so for some of you, you're not, you know, you're not 38 yet, so you can imagine the length of time. For others of us, even though we are a little over 38, you know, you can look back 38 years and see that is a long time. This guy was here and he was in this condition. And Jesus, this just always impacts me. Every time I read these, read this in verse 6. When Jesus learned that he'd been in this condition for that long, Jesus had to know that he could not, this man could not get himself to the water. He knew the guy's physical condition. Jesus had to know, and he also had to know what was going on in the man's heart. But I mean, this man was paralyzed. Somebody else would get down to the water ahead of him. And, and, but Jesus comes And rather than address any of that, Jesus asks him this question, do you want to be healed? And it's just an odd question to us. I mean, I I wouldn't walk up to anyone who had been sick for a long time and say, hey, do do you really want to get healed? You know, but we know that everything Jesus says, everything that God does, Okay, it comes out of his nature of love. So he's not doing this to be cruel. He's not doing this to be cynical. He's not doing this to cause the guy pain. He's doing this for a good reason, because he wants the man to be healed. And this issue of what his desire is has to be addressed in this. He, he, he has to, the, the man needs to deal with what's going on. Jesus doesn't question his ability to get to the water. Jesus doesn't bring that up. He doesn't, what he's questioning is the man's appetite to see a move of God in his life. He's questioning his desire. And that in itself, I just want to make a couple of these statements to you. Our appetite for God and the things of God will determine how much we receive from the Lord. Yes, sometimes the Lord just steps in, does something spontaneously. We didn't know it was coming. But the the majority of the scripture talks to us as New Testament believers about living a life of faith. We're here to live a life of trust in the Lord. 
And so there's an element of this. God is willing. Okay, that's settled. He sent his son to die for us. He, he demonstrated his love for us to the degree that Jesus came and died for us so that our sin could be forgiven and we could have this amazing relationship with the Lord. But the heart of God, the Lord in the Old Testament, he called himself, he named himself Jehovah Rapha, the Lord God who heals. He named himself, I am the God who heals. The scripture tells us in three separate places that by the stripes, the whipping that Jesus, that part of his sacrifice that he took on his back, we are healed. The Old Testament says you shall be healed. And in Matthew, it says it it links, you know, Matthew chapter eight, that idea is linked right after a whole series of physical healings. The the scripture tells us over in uh, Psalm 103, it tells us, that he is the God who forgives all of our sins and heals all of our diseases. He forgives all of our sins. And most of us have been raised in that. We, we get that. We've, we've heard that over and over and over. We've ha- in fact, the gospel at times has been reduced to that. And I mean, I'm, <laughs> if there had to be one thing dealt with, our sin was a good thing to deal with, Okay. But that's not the fullness of the gospel. The fullness of the gospel, salvation, touches every part of our being, including our physical body. So God's will isn't in question here. But Jesus asks this question, do you want to get well? Do you have that desire? So, and, and this, you know, talking about healing right now, but Jesus, you know, our appetite for the things of God is going to have a huge impact on how much of what Jesus has already purchased and given to us by grace. It's going to impact how much of that we actually are able to receive. There is an appetite issue. When we come to the word of God, there's an appetite issue. Are we hungry for the word of God? Are we hungry for transformation that comes through the word of God? Are we hungry to receive healing? Are we hungry to receive provision? And I, and I want to kind of talk through both sides of this because sometimes this just gets out of whack in our lives. But when our, when our appetite for natural things exceeds our appetite for the Lord and relationship with him, okay, so, so we want, for instance, the healing. We want the provision but we don't so much want the healer or the provider. Okay, does this make sense to you? We've got an appetite for something natural. We've got a need in our life, and there's nothing wrong with that. We all have needs in our life, and God knew that, and that's why he's made provision for us. But our our appetite for that natural part can become stronger than our appetite for God himself. We've always got to remember the principle that that miracles that take place always point to the miracle worker. They teach us something about the nature of God. The miracle itself is wonderful. Somebody getting our body healed is wonderful. And we've seen a ton of that. But the important thing is for us to know God as healers. This makes sense to you. Okay? So when our appet- if our appetite for the natural thing gets stronger than our appetite for the Lord... Then we get off track. We, we can miss a lot of his blessing because we're just off track in our believing. Or we can actually end up in sin because we just end up with this desire for something that isn't what God wants for us and God has labeled it sin, but we want that more than we want him. That's how we end up in sin, okay? So, so this is, this is a, a big deal and the fact is, I mean, throughout the scripture, you know, Jesus said those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Okay. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, meaning right relationship with God, they'll be filled. filled. Uh, Jesus said, you know, this is so interesting over in Matthew chapter four, as, as Jesus was in the wilderness and he was, uh, you know, he'd been fasting for 40 days. He's in the wilderness the devil comes to him, begins to tempt him in the ways that we are tempted. And when he, when he 
tried to, the devil tried to get him to, to change rocks into loaves of bread. You know, I mean, obviously he's hungry. He's got that natural appetite going, okay? His body is screaming for food. Jesus answered that with, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What that means, God knows we need bread. He knows we need natural food. He knows we need shelter. We need the things that we need. He knows you need clothing. He's all for that, okay? And again, Jesus in teaching, you know, uh, in the Beatitudes, he talks about, you know, the fact that look around you. Look at the way God clothes the grass. Look at the way he takes care of the birds. Look at the way, and you're much more important to him than them. He it just throughout the scripture, he tries to make this clear, but it's important for us to have that priority established that, yeah, I, I need the natural food, but I understand I do not live by bread alone. My life is not just a natural life. My life is not just me getting along and living and taking care of this body. That's one part but I have a spiritual life and I need the words of God. And sometimes for all of us, we have to stir up that hunger for the things of God. That's, you know, it was really interesting. And again, clarifying to me that Nanette had that word for us today, to stir up the fire within you. And I'm not saying that in any, this is just true of all of us. We go through, we're human beings. We go through periods where we're just really hungry and on fire for God. And then, you know, we get distracted, different things happen, and we can lose that to some degree. It's just something we need to be aware of because we can stir up that hunger for the Lord. It's such an interesting thing that in the natural, when we eat, right, we get hungry, we eat, we feel a satisfaction, and we are no longer hungry. In the spirit realm, it's exactly the opposite. The more we consume of the Lord, the more we plug into his word and not just as some kind of obligation to read the Bible or whatever, but I mean, we're, we're plugging into the word to, to know the person. We should always be going to the word to know the person because his, he is his word. God and his word are one. And as we plug into that, as we as we pray in the Spirit, as we worship the Lord, as we spend time in His presence, we get hungrier. As we feed on Him, we get hungrier. That's how it works in the Spirit. So sometimes we just have to get our butts up and go to the table when we don't feel hungry for the things of God. Okay, we've got to go and, and understand the principle that, hey, I'm just going to begin, begin feeding on him. I'm going to begin pouring into his word. And again, your emotions may be there or they may not. But this is kind of the point. We're not supposed to be run by our passions, our desires, our uh, emotions. We're supposed to be directing them. They're not supposed to be directing us. So we can direct ourselves. We let that spirit man direct ourselves into connecting with the Lord. Okay, does this make sense to you? And we can stir up that appetite. We can gain, but sometimes we just have to take the initiative, you know, and, and get there and do that. In John chapter 6, we're not going to go over, we'll probably look at this in a, another session in this series, but you remember the story, John chapter 6, it's the feeding of the 5,000 with the loaves and the fishes, right? So here's, this is, this is just interesting. I'm not going to teach this fully today. I just want you thinking about it. So here's this group of people that were so hungry for the Lord and so hungry for his words that they followed him out, you know, into the countryside and followed him for days and they were all starving. I mean, they were really hungry. And Jesus starts saying, we got to feed these people. And, and then this, there's this miraculous multiplication of the loaves and the fishes and this feeding uh, of, of these people. So this big miracle takes place and these people experience it. And in that, they received a natural provision. But what positioned them to receive that natural provision 
was their hunger for the Lord. It was their appetite, our appetite and desire to know him more and to, to get his words will position us to receive great provision in our lives, spirit, soul, body, financially, relationally, however it is, our hunger for him keeps us in the right place where those things are going to come into our life. I think our hunger for him will get us in the place where our work life will go better. We'll get a promotion. We'll get this. We'll get that. It's our hunger for the Lord. But here's the deal. And again, we'll look at this another day more thoroughly. I'm just breezing over it. Later on, so so they fed all those people. They left. The disciples left. Jesus left, went somewhere else. All these people figured out he was gone. They followed him to this other place. And they had this big discussion about bread and manna and all that that we'll get into later. But Jesus said to them, you didn't follow me here because you experienced that miracle. You followed me here because you ate natural bread and were satisfied. So their their focus went from I just want to hear the words of Jesus and I will do whatever it takes and I'll stay out here and let my body be hungry. Their focus went from that through receiving the provision. Their focus went back to, hey, this guy can feed us, you know? And so the next time they came to him, they were just looking for the provision. That's what we want to avoid. We want to keep our appetite focused on the Lord. Enjoy the provision that he brings. I think we should celebrate. I don't, I don't think this whole, you know, oh, I'm not deserving of anything. Well, that's not what the Bible says about you. The Bible says about you, you're a child of God. Yeah, you don't, none of us do deserve anything that he has done. And that's the point. He did it for us. He gives us all things through grace. We receive by faith. Yep, I get it. Not we, and when we receive great thanks from the Lord, many times we have that sense of, God, this is just your goodness. We just sang about it this morning. It's just your goodness. You know, yeah, we don't deserve it. That's the point. That's why he did it for us. But we need to keep that appetite focused on him. And then celebrate the things that come from that. That's wonderful. Celebrate one another's life. Celebrate every victory. Celebrate every blessing. All of that is awesome, okay? But we've got to remember, every time we experience some great provision from God, we've got to take time to remember, this is because he is the provider. This is because he loves us. This isn't because I deserve it. This is because he loves us, and I want to know him more. And, I, and we are blessed so that we can be a blessing to other people. He pours into our life so we can pour it out to others. Does this make sense to you? So that appetite, you know, Jesus comes along here, and that's what he questions in this guy is, do you really want to get well? The other thing is that that question really reveals where the man's faith was actually directed, okay? Because immediately his answer is, well, I can't, which was true, but this is where his heart was. He had become 38 years. I think any of us would would experience some discouragement, okay, over 38 years of being there, trying to get into the I'm not blaming the guy. I'm not criticizing. I'm just pointing something out. Jesus asked this question because his discouragement, I can't get down there. Somebody else keeps getting in ahead of me and I don't have anyone to help me. So he's focused on two things, what he could or couldn't do and what somebody else would or wouldn't do for him. So the one side of that, what I can do is focusing on what I can do. It becomes a work. It becomes me uh, trying to make things happen instead of, standing in faith toward the Lord and then allowing him to work through me and, and move me places and do things. And yes, I have a participation role, but, I, but I, I'm not just focused on what I can't do for myself, okay? The second side of that becomes sort of a victim mentality. Man, these people are not helping me. And so, so our faith can get moved, misdirected off of what God can do despite our inability and despite what anybody else does or doesn't do. Does this make sense to you? Our faith can get misdirected, pulled off of of God. This question 
just brought out out of this man where his discouragement was. And listen to me, many times our place of discouragement will tell us where our faith actually is. This is just a good thing for us to know. Again, this isn't a condemnation deal. This is just analyzing our own hearts and, and, and listening to what's going on the inside of us. Sometimes, you know, if I'm getting discouraged about my future, if I am become discouraged means lacking courage, okay? Yeah, it means you're bummed out, but it means I'm lacking courage. I'm moving into fear, okay? I'm lacking courage. I'm discouraged. I have had my courage, my boldness, my faith, my direction has been removed from me by something, okay? When that happens, I need to think about what that something is. If I'm feeling that way because of what, you know, what I can't do, or I'm feeling that way because of what somebody else will or won't do in my life, or I'm feeling that way because of the economy, I don't see any future. I'm discouraged. The economy, it all looks really bad. If I'm, if I'm saying that because, you know what? It is really hard to buy a house in this valley. For me and for what I do, this is really hard. And so I'm becoming discouraged about my future. I, I'm discouraged about my future because of who's in office in the state or the county or the, or the feds, you know? I mean, if I'm, if I'm allowing that to take away my courage and my boldness and my vision, my hope about my future, my faith is misdirected. Does that make sense? All those things are realities, but God's a bigger reality. His word is a bigger reality. What he has for us is a bigger reality. And if we're not engaged with that, then we'll be like this guy. We can hang out for 38 years and not receive what God has for us. Jesus sought this guy out. God had healing for him so many times. And again, when I say things like this, you know, I don't want anybody, if you're discouraged about something, don't get more discouraged with yourself. Don't feel condemned. Just recognize it. The Lord's on your side in this. He's not sitting back condemning you because you're discouraged about something. We all get discouraged. We just talked about all that in our last series. We all experience that, but what do we do with it? Are we willing, are, and here's, here's what it comes down to. Are we confident that, like the scripture says, every thought that he has for us is for our good and not for evil? Are we confident that he loves us right where we are today? Yeah, he has something more for us. He has something better. It doesn't mean he doesn't want to bring change into our life. But are we confident that he is a loving father? Are we confident what we just spent half an hour singing that every good gift, every good gift comes from the father of lights who doesn't change? If we're confident of that, then we can sit before him and go, oh, yeah, I'm discouraged in this area. Help me with that. Why am I discouraged in this area? What, where did I let this go? Where did I lose my peace? Where did I start to fear? Where did I... Where did I lose the vision that I had for this? Okay, and He'll help you. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He is the helper. Okay, it just makes sense to you. Are you receiving this? So, so with things like this, you know, uh, it's I just have to be able. I think this is part of growing in the Lord as we get before Him and we receive what what He says. Okay, and then of course the question comes up here: Why would somebody not want to get well? You know, why would somebody not be fully committed to receiving healing from the Lord? You know, Jesus walked up to this man and said, do you want to get well? It's just amazing, okay? Why would somebody do that? Nobody would do that. Yeah, they would. And we've known, and personally, we've known a number of people who've gotten stuck at an area, and there were a lot of reasons for it. One of the primary reasons is because somewhere along the way, they had gotten their identity caught up in a sickness or disease or an infirmity of some sort. They've gotten their identity. It's, and what I mean by that is for many people, you know, when your kids get sick, you take care of them, right? I mean, you want, you parents, you want your children well. You have that sense that comes, I believe, from the Lord. I want this, I would do anything for this child to be well, right? Well, 
the pro, the only that's fine and that's good. That's a good thing. But some of us grow up and that's the only time we get attention is if we're sick. And so as that happens, we begin to we want that we need that attention. That's not a bad thing either. We need we're made to love each other. We're made to need each other. And when that's the only place I experience love as a child, I begin to uh, partner with sickness. You know, I begin to, it's good when I'm sick because I get a lot of attention when I'm sick. And I, and again, I don't know how to say this that it doesn't sound kind of, uh, I'm unbuttoning my shirt for some reason, <laughs> that it doesn't sound kind of ugly. I don't mean it ugly. It, it's just, we can get there. And I've known people who were adults, are adults, and their identity is caught up. And I've been to the hospital with somebody who I'd known them for a while and I'd seen them in some different situations. But when they got to the hospital, they were that they were the happiest and the most confident looking that I'd ever seen. It was like, this is where I belong. This is where I feed, sort of. I don't know how else to describe it. It was, and that's when I realized, man, this is an identity issue. This isn't, there's a physical manifestation. This person is sick, no question about it. But it's stemming from and, and you know what? I mean, pray for that person all day long. We can lay hands on them. We can anoint them with oil. And I believe the Lord releases healing to them. But they take themselves back into sickness. I've known and I've told you this story many times. We had a guy living with us back a long time ago, early 90s, who had AIDS. And young man. And, uh, you know, in those days, I know there's other uh, ways to deal with it now. They didn't have any drugs. They didn't have anything to deal with. It was just a death sentence for people. Well, this guy got saved. He lived at our house for a while, and people were praying for him, and we laid hands on him. Others laid hands on him, and he received his healing. And the doctors verified his healing, but they cautioned him, this is impossible, so don't think this is real, okay? But but they could find, you know, his his blood was clear. He was He was good. And he, and this was a process. This went on. This was over months, and uh, but he came to a point because he'd been on disability and and on all this, and it came to the point where he was going to need to get off disability and go back to work, and he was going to have to be confident that he could stay healthy, and he couldn't get past that hurdle in his own heart. He simply couldn't get past that hurdle, and so he started going backwards and pull him back. So it was a financial issue and a trust issue. And just what if I get sick again? What will I do? This is how I'm making my living. He used to, we first knew him, he was working, you know, and he let that stop him. And he eventually went back to, I think it was Oklahoma with his mom and he, he died finally. And I believe with all my heart and he's in heaven, he knows Jesus. But I believe with all my heart, God had a longer life for him than that. But, and again, I don't say that critically. It was where he wasn't able in his own heart and his own believing to get over that hump, over that place. So there are various reasons. Shame. People can feel like, I don't deserve to be healed. I don't deserve because I've, I've done this. I've lived this way. I have this sin in my past. Whatever it might be, shame gets on people. And so Jesus did ask us, and there are other reasons, but I mean, it, this is not, it's not maybe common, but it's not uncommon for people to somehow, one way or another, exempt themselves from what the Lord has for them. And so Jesus got to the heart of the matter and really, again, to me, his question really identified where the man's faith was. And then in, so in verse eight, you still with me? Let's go a little farther. Um, verse 8 says, Jesus said to him, and this is so interesting because it wasn't like he had a counseling session where he undid the discouragement either. There was something about him bringing that out. Maybe this was the first he'd thought, do I want to get well? And then he immediately, well, I can't get there and, and somebody else won't help me, you know, whatever. All that came out. Jesus just stepped in and healed him anyway. So I don't know all the, you know, I don't know the spiritual dynamics there. I just know Jesus 
stepped in here and his words, you know, we, we see in the scripture that the word carries the ability to bring itself to pass. It, Jesus says to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So first of all, the words that Jesus spoke to him contained the power to heal him. And he said, get up. And that that phrase means rise. It's used of rising from death. It's It's used of rising from sleep. It's used of rising from lethargy or discouragement. This is what the Greek word means. So Jesus in saying, get up, there was a release from that man from discouragement, maybe lethargy, but it, but this term, it doesn't just mean, okay, physically stand up. There's something that happens on the inside of us that then manifests itself on the outside and we get up. And he got up. It was physically impossible for him to get up. But in receiving what the Lord was saying to him, that power came into his body. This word means to stand again. Okay, so this is a word we need to hear a lot of times when we get discouraged. When we get off course with something we need for the Lord. And he will. He'll breathe it into our hearts. Get up. And it's not just get up, you know, some command, you know, like, get up, you idiot. I mean, it's not that. It's, it's life. It's, it's power to rise again, to become encouraged again, to stand up. And it says, get up and take up your mat. And I love that because that mat is what had supported him. That mat was home. That mat was the place he'd become comfortable. He'd made this, this spot his and a lot of times, especially, again, with sickness, with disease, with different kinds of discouragement, we'll just settle in to just, you know what, I'll just get along with this. This is fine. I'll just get along with this. And we'll start to make our home with something where God has something way better for us. And we'll begin to just get comfortable in that. Again, we'll sort of attach our identity to it. And that had become his his place. And and in that, so Jesus said, take up your mat. In other words, what had been holding you, you're now taking hold of and picking up. Okay, you, it's no longer dominating you. It's no longer supporting you. Now you are taking it. And this can be any number of things. I mean, in this case, it was a physical mat. This could apply to any number of things in our life, an event, a circumstance, something that's controlling us. Now the Lord is getting us so that, so that now we are on top of it. We're no longer under it. We're no longer just laying on it without being able to move. Now we're on top of it. And then he says, so get up, take up your mat and walk. Okay. Wasn't just get up, stand again, arise, take up your mat. Okay. Pick it up and then stand there for the rest of your life. There was a reason for this guy to get up and take up that mat, take control of that thing, then walk, go forward, move forward. You don't live here anymore. You're not in this place anymore. I have something more for you. We're going forward. We're not going to get attached to this with, with regret or with any of the things we just talked about in our last series. We're not, going to, we're not going to get attached to what was there. We're not going to stay mad at the people who didn't help us. We're not going to do any of that. We're going forward. That's behind us. That's over. That's done. That's not who I am. We're going forward. Okay? So, There is a reason we rise up so that we can walk forward. And every breakthrough you get with God sets you up for the next one. Every breakthrough we get with God, we receive something from him. That becomes a testimony that sets us up for the next one. Okay, it sets us up to go forward. I want to look at one other passage and then I want to pray for some people. So I'm going to leave this. There's some more here that we need to get into as far as uh, what happened. But I want to jump over to John chapter 9, because I think for some reason, I think it's really important for us to look at this today. John chapter 9, and I'm going to begin in verse 1. And you'll recognize this story. This is another story where Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath, okay? And the rulers got mad at him. And and we're going to talk about that somewhat. But uh, 
But let's stay focused on this right now. I'm really tempted to go off this other direction, but I really feel like we're supposed to stay on this. So John chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Okay, so a lot of our translations add words to the original text there. And uh, let, me, let me back up. Let me first say this. In the original manuscripts, there is no punctuation. Okay, the translators add punctuation. What punctuation does, you still listen to me, what punctuation does is it categorizes thoughts, right? We, we end a sentence because that's the end of a thought. We start another sentence. It might be related, but that's, that's an, we, we organize with periods and with commas and things like that. We organize, we give emphasis, we do all this stuff to our thoughts. That doesn't appear in the Greek. There's, there are words in the Greek that carry with them what we would put an exclamation point. Well, that word carries an exclamation point, okay? There are, there are words like that. But it's up to the translators to work out from these manuscripts how this should be laid out. Secondly, if you look back at the original language, uh, like if I read from the NIV or different, there are a lot of our translations, they add some words to try and clarify. I'm not saying this was bad. They just try and clarify what was being said here. What Jesus said, the, the disciples came to him. Here's this man who was born blind. And the, their question, because this is what they believed at the time, who sinned? You know, it, it had to be from sin. This is what the, as, we, as you read down through this chapter, which we're not going to do today, this is what the Jews come back to over and over and over. Who sinned? This had to be from sin. They finally, when they excommunicate the guy, from, kick him out of the synagogue, they say to him, well, you were steeped. You were soaked in sin at birth. They're just convinced it was sin that caused this. So they asked, who was it? Was it him? Was it his parents? How did this happen? What Jesus says to them is neither. Wasn't his parents' sin? Wasn't anybody's sin? That's what Jesus answered. Wasn't sin that caused this? But the way, and and now I'm gonna. This is my opinion. Okay, everybody hear that? This is my opinion of how I believe that some of the punctuation here makes it sound like, and a lot of people believe this, that God Himself made that child be born blind so that later he could be healed. In other words, God did this with a purpose. He made this kid blind, okay? That's how it sounds in English. My problem with that is it contradicts the nature of God as seen in Jesus. I didn't see Jesus make anybody blind. I'll find anywhere where God, well, I mean, in the Old Testament, there were some spots where uh, you know, as a as a uh, as judgment, you know, there were people who were who were blind. But anyway, as you know, having a baby born blind so that later he could do this, I don't think that speaks of of the nature of God that we see in Jesus. So I think the way this reads is, you know, they asked him the question, "Who sinned?" Jesus answered, "Neither his parents, neither he nor his parents sinned." Period. And then he says, but that the works of God should be revealed in him, I must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. The night is coming when no one can work. I think what he was saying was, it wasn't the result of sin, neither his parents nor him. Nobody sinned. But so that the works of God may be seen. If you totally don't like that and you, and you disagree with what I'm saying, that's fine. This is my opinion. Did everybody hear that? I think it should be punctuated a little different. But either way, Jesus says that the works of God may be seen. I need to heal him. So to me, Jesus is saying the work of God to be seen here is the healing, not the blindness. Okay? Can we all agree on that one? All right. Jesus is differentiating between something here. 
but that the works of God may be seen. And he says that the works of God may be seen. I've got to work the works of him who sent me while it is day. And then he heals the man. So clearly he's saying, while it's day, while I'm here, I've got to do this work. Okay, and the work is the healing. The thing that I'm bringing is the healing. And he says, night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. I believe, again, that that phrase there in that particular place is saying, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. I think he's shedding light on what happened here. I think he's shedding spiritual revelatory light on the fact that, no, this guy isn't blind. That blindness is not the work of God. The healing is the work of God. And then he heals him on the Sabbath. Okay, on the Sabbath. And, and so later that becomes, uh, for the rest of the chapter, we, and we're going to come back to it, we watch this argument ensue. And I'll just say this much about that. Let me, let me back up. I'm going to say one more thing because we've got to pray for people. All right. So the point of both, one of the points of both of these passages we're looking at is God's a healer. God sought out a man to heal him. In this situation, Jesus said, the work of God is to heal this person. So if you don't get anything else this morning, get into your heart today, God's a healer. If you've got sickness in your body, if you've got infirmity in your body, if you've got an injury in your body, I believe God wants to heal you. I think he's made that so clear. I believe Jesus does all the things today that he did while we were on the earth. Okay. Secondly, and I don't want this to get us off course from that one. In both of these situations, the reason the rulers got so mad is because essentially in that first one, we didn't, we didn't finish it, but they came and said, you know, it's unlawful for you to carry your mat. We'll explain. I wasn't in the Torah. That was one of their interpretations of the law. But it's unlawful for you to carry your mat. What the guy responded was, well, the guy who healed me told me to pick up my mat. What that means is, I think he has more authority than you do. I've been laying here 38 years, and nobody's come and brought healing to me. This guy brought healing to me. You're telling me that I shouldn't pick up my mat. This one, the same thing. I mean, later on, he, this guy makes a fabulous speech about, isn't that amazing that you have no clue who this guy is? because he violated the Sabbath, and yet it's never been heard of that somebody was healed that was born blind. Isn't that amazing? Here's the thing. Human government doesn't like to be told that there's a higher authority. That's why it's written into our system, written in one nation under God. Okay? I don't want to get off on this. I don't want to get off on this. But I'm telling you, part of the problem we're having today, and the part of the problem all over the world, is government does not like to know there's a higher authority. Okay? So that's where we start getting into all these fights about the Sabbath. Okay? And we can talk about that another time. I want to pray for you this morning as we're closing this up. If you have any sickness in your body that you and you would like to be prayed for, Okay, if you have sickness, if you need healing your body, I'm going to ask you right now, just stand up where you are and we're going to pray for you. Anybody in here want prayer for healing this morning? All right. Okay. Now, if you're sitting and you believe that Jesus is the healer and that the scripture says that believers are to lay hands on the sick and see the sick recover, I want you to go and lay hands on somebody and help us pray for them, okay? Just get a few believers around every person that's standing. Just get a few people. If you're not totally confident about that, that's cool. Don't worry about it. Just just flow with us here, okay? All right. This is great. This is great. All right, now I'm just going to ask you, as you're laying hands on, on people this morning, Just go ahead. You might close your eyes, whatever, but just begin to allow the healing virtue of Jesus. The Bible says that the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in and quickens our mortal bodies. 
The Bible says we can lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So I just encourage you, you can begin to speak out a prayer over them. You can begin to uh, dismiss that sickness, that disease, that weakness, whatever it is from them. But whatever you do, just begin to release that healing virtue that's on the inside of you. And I'll pray from up here. But you just go ahead. The Lord gives you some words. You go ahead and you, you speak them over that person. Father, I, I just want to thank you this morning as we pray for these This morning, Lord, I believe that divine health is your will for every person. And Lord, we understand we live in a fallen planet. Our bodies, they age, they break down from time to time. But you know what, Lord? We believe that by the stripes of Jesus Christ, we are healed. We believe that you are the God. You are the God who forgives all of our sins and heals all of our diseases. You are the one who has said for believers to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. And so the Lord this morning, we just do this in obedience to you and your word. Lord, you are the healer. We can't do a thing except obey your word. And we do that this morning and we trust, Lord, that your anointing, your power and your life is flowing into these people. God, that bodies are being healed, that backs are being strengthened. Lord, that muscles are coming back into line. Father, that bones are being healed, that disease is eradicated, eradicated from these bodies in the name of Jesus. And Father, I pray also over their minds and hearts, Lord, they would be established and fixed on you and on your love for them. Father, again, not a one of us deserve the blessings you bring, but we receive them with joy in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we declare over these bodies healing and strength. We believe that as people go home, as they, as they rise and, and sleep and Lord go about their, their business, Father, they're going to find that that healing virtue has worked in their bodies transform and in their minds, Lord, in our minds, Father, we thank you for the healing in our minds, and we receive it from you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God a clap this morning. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Just receive that. Those of you who are standing, just receive it this morning. Did you get anything out of this today? All right. We're going to be dismissed on the count of three. And we are going to say, as we always do, Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. There's some great snacks out there. In fact, Mother's Day, check out, man. They just made it beautiful out there. So encourage everybody to stay around, fellowship for a while, get to know one another. And uh, we love you guys. All right. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.